0: I want you to open your Bible today over to Ephesians, if you would, chapter 6. Today we're going to be talking about preparing your family for the future. Preparing your family for the future. I know there's a lot of talk, I hear it occasionally, and I appreciate it. I appreciate what people are saying, I appreciate the reality of the concern, but the question goes something like this, as believers, is it wise for us in the days in which we live to have children? to bear children, to bring new children into the world with the way the world is going. Well, again, I understand that. It would be easier not to, but is that the plan of God? Well, the plan of God, no, that's not the plan of God. God's people have always dealt with adversity, difficulty, persecution, and uh, he's always been there for his people. But we do find ourselves today in a battle for the biblical family. The family is not only being redefined, or people are trying to redefine it, but the perversion of it is being forced onto a nation that has always taught Judeo-Christian values concerning the sexes, concerning marriage, concerning the home. There's an indoctrination of our children, though, that's going on, especially in the public schools, promoting all kinds of blasphemous perversions of God's standards. Many of those promoting those standards, and many in the alternative, quote-unquote, lifestyles, the alphabet soup groups and so forth that we have today, many of them have been very forthright in saying... We're coming after your children. They've said that publicly. We're coming after your children. okay? And the evidence of that, you can see that even in some of the classrooms where they're bringing into preschool age, nursery age, and kindergarten age classrooms, drag queens and things like this to read to the kids to try to, quote unquote, normalize these kind of things. On top of that, it's kind of interesting, I wasn't looking for this this week, but it came across my way and I thought, boy, you know, that kind of talks to the times as well because all of these things fit together as we see the unraveling that is going on. A recent Gallup poll was taken and the headline was this, belief in God in the United States dips to 81%, a new low, 81%. And it gives a little graph by uh, subgroups. Between 2013 and 2017, a total of 87% of Americans believed in God. In 2022, it was down to 81%. Five years, a drop, 6%. Think about that, how vast that is, okay? Now, keep in mind, don't lose heart. That still means that four out of every five people Still believe in God. Okay, do we get that? 80 percent. But still, what's interesting to me, though, that was a little surprising. But here's what I found fascinating: between 2013 and 2017, 83 percent of men believed in God. Between in 2022, 80 percent. That is a three percent reduction. But here's the kicker: women. 2013 to 2017, 90% believed in God. 2022, 83%. It's a 7% drop in women who say they do not any longer believe in God. Now, I want you to think about that. Now, we could talk a long time this morning, which I'm not going to, about why that is, and I could give you some thoughts on that. I do know this. There's a lot of people in our country who would not like what I had to say about that and about the movements within the female community. Let me just put it there, okay? I think all of these things are related. What all this tells me is this. Now, this is my opinion, but I think it's an educated one. What's happening? What is going on? Why are these things happening in our society? Well, God gives us clear answers, okay? What can we do about it? Not only what's happening, but what can we do about it. Okay. I believe this with all my heart, folks. This begins in the home. The change begins in the home. All right. You might say, well, what about the change beginning in the church? Okay. It's people who make up the church. Do we understand that? The church doesn't make up the people. It's the people that make up the church. The church is not a building. The church is the people. So the quality of the people is the quality of the church. If those families are fragmented, if those families are a mess, if those families are a disaster, that's going to have a profound effect on the effectiveness of the church. You might say, well, we, we stand for the truth of God. We stand for the truth of God. Yes, on paper, we do stand for the truth of God. But if we as individuals don't, then our church does not stand for the truth of God, even though it may be on paper. Now, I'm not criticizing our church, but I am saying this. When you expand this out, folks, it's not a surprise where we find ourselves today. As fathers, because here's what it comes back to. The directives for the welfare of the family, God lays them at the feet of the father. That's where God lays them. And so that is where we're focused today. As fathers, we must step up to the plate with clarity and courage in the days we're living. It is a tremendous privilege to be entrusted by God himself to disciple the next generation of children for the glory of God. But we better be sure that's what we're doing. We better be sure we do not get sucked into the way society is going Yes, we complain and criticize the way the world is going, but the pattern is this. The people of the body of Christ usually are just a few steps behind the world. So the world gets worse, we get worse, but we're just a few steps behind. That's not the way it's supposed to be. We are supposed to be anchored and solid and cemented on the ways of God regardless of the way that the world goes regardless of that. And so I want to uh, cover several issues today. This issue of fatherhood and being responsible as we should be. The first is this. We're going to look at the mandate, the mandate of fatherhood. We as dads are commanded by God to train up our children according to God's ways, God's principles. The idea of a command makes people in the days in which we live shrink away from it. Oh, command. Wait a minute. You know, I hear it. We've even been criticized. Well, don't talk about commands. We're under grace today. Don't talk about commands. Let me tell you something, friend. I I got news for you. Every word in Paul's epistles that is an imperative, in other words, it's spoken in the imperative, an imperative is a command. It's not a, well, how do you feel today about this? It's God is saying, this is what you are supposed to be doing, okay? It's an imperative. It's necessary. We're told, obey. That's God. It has nothing to do with how I feel about it, although hopefully I feel good about wanting to obey. We are commanded by God to train up our children according to his ways. We cannot shrink away from the commands God has given us. It is the lives of our children we are talking about. We need to be serious about this. Parents, listen, both moms and dads or dads and moms today. Listen. The world says we're coming after your children. You know what you say? You stand up and you say, "Not on my watch. You're not going to get them. You're not going to get my child. You're not going to get my children. There's no way." you're going to get to them. Now, those are just words, but there's ways to make sure that doesn't happen. And we're going to talk about that. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, and ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath, anger, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There's a spiritual battle going on for our children. We have a world that wants to capture their minds and hearts for evil and for things that do not matter. There's a new Pixar movie coming out soon. I won't say the name of it. Okay, Very popular character from the past, and it's coming out, and the thing that has come out, maybe that's not the right term to use, But anyways, there's two female characters in this, and there is an exchange of, I guess, kisses or whatever between these two female characters, okay? Let me ask you something. Why do you have to put that in a video? Why do you have to put that in there? Well, folks, it's because they're coming after your children. That's why they have to put it in there, okay? You know what you need to do? Don't ever watch that stuff. Don't ever watch it. Say, listen, I have nothing to do with you. And by the way, that's all Disney. I have nothing to do with it. That's the way it should be. We have a world that wants to capture their minds and hearts for evil. And they also want to capture, and by the way, this is more subtle, but just as deadly. The world wants to capture the minds of our children with things that do not matter. Well, Okay, don't go that direction of that obvious stuff that's obviously against scripture morally, but give your life to stuff. Yeah, pursue this, pursue that. Anything but what the Bible says because a wasted life is a life that has failed, okay? Has not fulfilled the will of God. Here in Ephesians chapter 6, we see in verse 4, you fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Don't you find it interesting? Just a few verses down in verse 10, it says this, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the strategies of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, yes, this is what's going on. And part of the spiritual battle has to do with the family. They want our children destroyed. Satan wants our children destroyed. Now, this issue of fatherhood, the mandate of fatherhood, it is an awesome task, and it takes real commitment purposeful commitment. It doesn't just happen. You may be a dad. You did not have a good role model growing up, okay? Listen, that's not, that's not a reason to fail. That's an excuse to say, well, I, I can't be a good dad because I didn't have a good dad. That's an excuse. The father, our heavenly father is our example. So where do you get the tools necessary to do the work, to be the successful dad that God wants you to be? Well, that leads us to our next thing. Now, I, I love this one. The muscle of fatherhood. <laughs> the muscle of fatherhood. Now, some of you may be thinking, yeah, you know, oh man, muscle, strong, yeah. You, you wouldn't believe what I can do with, with barbells and dumbbells. Well, a lot of us work with dumbbells. Um, that's a joke. The muscle of fatherhood. Now, when, again, when I speak of this, I'm obviously not talking about the physical. There's too much emphasis on that today, but it is something man can relate to. You see, when we talk about musclehood, we are all talking about strength, aren't we? We're talking about strength. 1 Timothy chapter 4, turn there with me. 1 Timothy chapter 4, God gives us purpose in life. God gives us reason to live. God says, you know what? For you to run your race successfully, you're going to have to be strong, not physically strong. And it's okay to be physically strong, okay? But in 1 Timothy 4, verse 8, it says this For bodily exercise profiteth little. Now, that's not belittling it, it is saying there is some profit in it. But look what it says it compares For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. God has called us to be spiritually strong. Now, isn't it interesting those words? Bodily exercise profits little, but godliness. What is godliness? Godliness is the exercise of living for Christ. Bodily exercise is one thing. Spiritual exercise is what God wants us to be given to more than anything else. God has called us to be spiritually strong. Biblical fatherhood takes guts, okay? It takes guts and is impossible in a natural realm. The responsibility is a great responsibility. Now, where do we get the strength? Where do we get the muscle and power to do it? Two sources. The first is this. We get the first from the Lord, from God. The Lord. This, of course, begins with salvation. You notice what it said in 1 Timothy 4 8 bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is. God is true to his word. We reap what we sow. And of that which is to come, that which is to come. Begins with salvation. When we understand we cannot save ourselves, when we understand our good works can't get us to heaven, that we are separated from God, we're sinners, that our sin must be punished and must be paid for. But then we understand that God sent his son to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And Jesus went to the cross and he died on the cross and he paid for our sin and rose from the grave And he tells us if we trust in him that he's paid for our sins, he gives us that moment, everlasting life. It is a free gift, not based on works, not based on faithfulness, not based on good deeds, not based on sacraments or ordinances, not based on moral reform, but based solely on the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross in the payment of our sins. That's where it begins. So how do we get the spiritual strength and power? Well, first, obviously, there's salvation, but we get it from the Lord. I find it very interesting. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, it says this, Be strong and of a good courage, fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Where do we get our strength? Where do I get my strength as a father in this world as a Christian dad? Where am I gonna get the strength to do what God has called me to do as a father, to fulfill my role? I must be, listen, I get it at the throne of grace. You need to be serious about this. You need to fall on your knees and cry out to God and say, oh God, make me a good dad. Give me the wisdom on how to be a good father to my children. Give me the wisdom. Lord, give me balance. Give me balance to where they will be. My children will be people of strong biblical conviction. And yet at the same time, help me understand it's not something I can make them do. Folks, much of the Christian life is caught, not taught. Teaching is important. I'll get to that. But much of the Christian life is caught by example. Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. There it is. Of whom shall I be afraid? We get the spiritual muscle for fatherhood. We get it from the Lord. And from the Lord, secondly, we get it from his word. From his word. That's where our direction comes from. There is a life-changing power in scripture. Turn with me to 2 Timothy Chapter 3. There is life changing power in the Word of God. This is not only true for us personally, it is also true for our families. For our families. A Christian home and a moral home are not necessarily the same. Now, a Christian home will be a moral home, but there can be a moral home and yet not actually a Christian home because people aren't born again. How much better? And by the way, a moral home is better than an immoral home. Okay, do we get that? But the ideal is a Christian home because you get the morals with that, but you get the life of Christ in the family, in the lives of dad, mom, and the children. And that is God's ideal. So from the word, spiritual muscle from the word, life-changing power, 2 Timothy 3.14 Paul said, "But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise into salvation, through faith, which is in Christ Jesus." By the way, there it is again. How do we get salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, through trusting in him in him alone as Savior. Then verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God or the person of God, okay, man or certainly these truths apply to girls or women as well, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The word perfect means complete, complete, mature, what is it that grows us up to be men and godly men and women of God? It's the word of God. It's the values, the principles that we find in scripture. And these are the things that I am supposed to have in my life as a Christian father and pass those along, teach them to our children. You might say what about mom? She's the partner in that. But dad is supposed to be the leader of the home. So we see this issue We see that we've had a man, there's the mandate of fatherhood, the muscle of fatherhood. We get our muscle from the Lord and from his word. But then there's the method, okay? Now let's get practical here this morning. The method of fatherhood. How are we to be good dads? What exactly does it take? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these, we've covered them in detail in the past but I do want to mention them because I think they're all important ingredients that go into this. The first is this, training. Training. Okay, this is deliberate. Training. This has to do with loving discipline of our children. This is over and over again in the Word of God where we train our children. Now, this includes chastening. As a matter of fact, the word In Ephesians 6, 4, if you look at it, you fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up into nurture. The word nurture means discipline, training. It's also the same root word as the word chasten. So it has to do, yes, it has to do with physical discipline, but it also has to do with just training of our children, okay? Training, training them to, I'll give you an example of this. Practical one, part of their training would be you have to teach your children. Let's say you go outside, you teach the, your children that the street is not a safe place. It's not a safe place. Now, when I was growing up, our street was a safe place. It wasn't real wide, right, Larry? That kind of was our playground. We played in the street. You might say, What kind of weirdos are you? You played in the street. There wasn't that much traffic. And by the way, Our parents had the sense to teach us, listen, if you hear or see a car coming, you get out of the road, because they, back then, had the right-of-way. Now, that's confusing for people today, right? Because people in cars think they have the right-of-way, whereas in Minnesota, you know, the law, well, you know, the pedestrian has the right-of-way. Tell that to a car. Cars don't understand that. Tell that to people who don't know what the laws are. Anyway, that's another story. We won't go there this morning. But teaching, okay, training. This has to do with loving discipline. Over and over again, you train them in that which is right. One of the things we did on our vacation this year, we went down to the Twin Cities, we took in a Twins game. And one of the games that we went to, or we took in a couple of them, but one of the games we went to, we're sitting there, and here's this family, husband, wife, mom, dad, and two little kids, one boy, one girl. And they were right in front of us, and these were angry children. Now, there's a reason those children are angry. They're frustrated because their parents aren't parenting them. Did you know that? Their parents aren't training them. Their parents aren't disciplining them. And the little girl in particular was throwing fits and temper tantrums, and she was punching uncontrollably punching bags and then uh, punching her mom and all these kind of things going on. And here they are, they're at a baseball game paying good money to be in that place. And it's a nightmare going on. And I'm looking at it, Sue and I both, and it's like, this is awful watching this go on. So they have to take the kids out because they can't control the children. They have to take them out, and they're gone walking around the stadium because their child's not under control. Disaster. Shouldn't be that way. If you're training properly at home, you're not going to have that kind of stuff out in public. But there's got to be the consistency there. So there's the training, the nurturing. That's part of the nurturing. But then there's also the teaching. The teaching bring them up in the nurture that 's the discipline that 's the chastening, and the admonition the word admonition it means to put into the mind it has to do with teaching principles. this also includes modeling, which is being an example proverbs twenty two six what does it say? Train up a child in the way they should good when they are old they won 't depart. From it. Now, I know there's different teaching on that today. People say, well, it doesn't mean what it says. What it means is that you train them up according to their personality, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. Can somebody please explain to me the sense of that? If I'm going to train them up according to their personality, why do I have to train them up? They already have a personality. Makes no sense. No, that's an excuse, is what it is. That's an excuse. The original meaning that we all grew up understanding that verse to mean, that is exactly what it means. Train up a child in the way he should go. The way he should go is God's way. Now, do we all do a perfect job of it? No, we don't. Do we all fail? Yes, we do. But the principle is a good proverb. So the method of fatherhood, training. Secondly, teaching. Third, providing providing not just food but that matters providing a good environment for that child to grow up in providing parents listen providing a happy childhood for your kids might say so that sounds kind of pithy that that just sounds kind of fluff listen don't you want your children to have good memories growing up isn't that important that's important for your kids I don't care about that. I just want them to serve the Lord. Let me tell you something. If your home life is miserable, they're not going to. They're not going to. You need to be concerned about them, giving them good experiences in life, happy times in life, providing in every way, not just food. And I know as kids become teenagers, that becomes more challenging, providing food for them. You ought to just schedule deliveries to your home. Once they become teenagers. Okay, you'll be here at 10, you'll be here at 2, you'll be here at 5, you'll be here at 9. Double order at 9. Hold us over till the morning. Till it all begins again. Listen, this is a fact. When the father is an active believer, there is about 75% likelihood that the children will also become active believers. You might say, why is that such an impactful thing? Because that's the way God designed it is for dad to be the spiritual leader in the home. But if only the mother is a believer, this likelihood is dramatically reduced to 15%. 15%. We wonder why homes are the disaster they are today. You might say, well, wait a minute, I'm I'm a single mom. I guess I'm doomed, right? No. You know what? You've got two things going for you. The grace of God... God understands where you're at, and he is going to be strong on your behalf. You can succeed, keep going, do what is right, okay? Not only that, but why aren't you in the 15%? You know, I look at that 15% and I'm thinking, I know who the 15% are. Those are the ones who have godly morals and principles. Moms who are sacrificing for their children, who are trying to provide a godly home, who are making an impact in the lives of their children. That's those 15%. Don't give up. God will be strong on your behalf. But nevertheless, do you see the importance of fathers? Training, teaching, providing. Here's another one. This is so important today, folks. Guarding, guarding. Dad, you are the guardian of your family. You need to guard them. You need to protect them. I'm not talking about going, up, going out and getting a conceal and carry, okay? That's fine, and there's nothing wrong with that. What I'm talking about here is spiritually, morally. Be the protector, be the gatekeeper of your family. This is not meant to be negative, but positive. Dad is to be sure that the things in the home stay on the right path. He is the watchman in the gate. You need to be careful what you allow in the gate into your home. And I'm talking about media. I'm talking about friends. I'm talking about all those kind of things and the different ways that Satan wants to use to get to the children. Are you watching? Are you being careful? I'm just too busy at work. You're asking for trouble. Don't sacrifice your children for a raise. Be careful of their education. That's huge. That's why we have a Christian school, by the way. Believe me, we're trying to guard them. Look with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Training, teaching, providing, guarding, being careful. What comes into your home. Sometimes, Dad, you're going to have to take a stand. It's not going to be popular. Say, I heard about that. You're not doing that. Or you're not going to get involved in social media, so forth, because of all the junk that's coming. Well, my friend, my friends, this and that, Listen. They'll thank you for it later on in life when they mature and they understand the problems. First Timothy three, four says, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Gravity is seriousness. Okay, one that ruleth well his own house. That's not being a dictator. That's not being mean. That's not being nasty. Not being legalistic. But he's watching, he's ruling in love, loving leadership in the home, being careful, watching. No, we're not going to do that. No, we're not going to go there. Yeah, but so-and-so, my friends are doing this and doing that. Listen, guys, your standard is the word of God. Your standard is the word of God. Lastly, loving. Now, all of the things we've covered so far are part of loving our children. Certainly, appropriate affection would be an important one as well. Not talking about anything kinky or weird, but hugging your children, there's nothing wrong with that, okay? Nothing wrong with that. It's appropriate. Proper affection of your children. You see it all through Scripture. I said, well, I just don't do that. Why not? You see it in the Scripture, It's a way to communicate acceptance to your children. You want to see how this works? It works much better, by the way. Visually, you can see it very quickly with little kids. They're running around, they're playing, they're this or that and all that. They come to mom or dad, because it's Father's Day, we'll talk about dads here. And they come and you get down, you talk to them, okay, you're close to them. You give them a hug. You hold them and you give them a hug and you tell them how much you love them. You kiss them on the head, okay? And I'll tell you what, as soon as you let go of them, it's like they explode out of your arms with joy. Jumping, hopping, skipping, running. Kids don't know how to walk. They just run. (laughs) Running all over the place. Why? Because they got love from you. That's why. They're accepted. They're loved. They know it. You communicated that to them. It's a big deal. Dads, it's a big deal with your daughters. Big deal. But also with your sons. Appropriate, though. Appropriate affection. There's a Spanish story of a father and a son who had become estranged. Happens a lot. The son ran away, and the father set off to find him. He searched for months to no avail. Finally, in a last desperate effort to find him, the father put an ad In the Madrid paper, the ad read, Dear Paco, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. On Saturday, 800 Pacos showed up looking for forgiveness and love from their fathers. Think about it. The last point today is this, the manifestation of fatherhood. All of us want our children to turn out right. All of us do, okay? We all want good results. A dad who is diligent and does all he can to bring up his children right, he can enjoy the fruits of that. He can leave a godly legacy that can last a lifetime. The impact, the profound impact a father can have on his children. Let me show you this, Proverbs chapter 20. And guys, can I tell you this? This would be one of those verses. It'd be good for you to print it out nice and big, maybe put it on the bathroom mirror in the morning when you're getting ready for work. Proverbs 20, verse 7. As I have grown older, I have uh, come to appreciate this more and more as as a verse. Proverbs 20, verse 7. The just man... The righteous man. The word just means righteous. The just man walketh in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. You notice a man, a just man, a righteous man who walks in his integrity. What is one of the fallouts? What is one of the fruits that he enjoys? His children end up being blessed. Why? Because they caught it. They caught it. The way we live our lives defines the words we use. The way we live our lives defines the words we use. What does honesty mean? I have a responsibility to define that to my children by the way I live my life. What does humility mean? What does godliness mean? What does courage mean? I define those terms by the way I live my life. Patience. What does love mean? Do you get it? this is the way it works. The manifestation of fatherhood. The law of reaping and sowing is true and real. We must not lose sight of this, folks. We must not lose sight of this. Galatians 6, 7 says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. That doesn't just deal with negative. That's also the positive. You read the next verse, it's it's also the positive. By the way, can I tell you this? Even secular people get this, some of them, some of them. How many of you ever heard of Ben Stein? Ben Stein, okay, he's an economist, he makes movies, documentaries, and so forth. Ben Stein, he graduated from Columbia University in 1966 with honors in economics and was valedictorian of Yale Law School in 1970. He is a lawyer, professor, actor, writer, author, and frequent guest on Fox News to talk about finance. Certainly he's qualified to answer the question, quote, Ben, what's a good investment? However, his answer might surprise you. He said, and I quote, Go home from work early and spend the afternoon throwing a ball around with your son. Unquote. Yeah, that's a good investment. That's a good investment. First Corinthians fifteen, fifty-eight says this Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Guys, it is an investment that pays back wonderful dividends, okay? But this is a key issue. We need to be preparing our family for the future. While the world is getting darker, we need our children to grow up to be warriors for Christ, okay? Champions for Christ, victorious for Jesus Christ. Not obnoxious, but courageous, godly Christians who know what they believe and why they believe it, and they want to tell the world about it. Now, we're going to close over in John chapter 1. So please turn there with me, John chapter 1. Possibly you're here today, or you may be watching over the internet, and you might say, you know, I've never heard any of this before, and I'd like to be a part of this. Well, as I mentioned earlier, this all begins with trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have to become... We've been talking about fathers and children. You have to become a child of the Heavenly Father. You have to become a child of God. And the Bible tells us how. In John chapter 1, it says this, But as many as received Him, talking about Jesus Christ... To them gave he power to become the sons of God, to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You're born into the family of God by faith in Jesus Christ. What is it you need to believe? Okay? This is you and me, and my wallet represents our sin. We're all sinners. That sin separates us from God. To go to heaven, you have to be sinless. None of us are. We're all sinners. Yet God tells us he loves us, even though we're sinners, even though we rebel towards him, even though we sin. God loves us. He hates our sin. He loves us. That sin separates us from him. If we are to pay for our sin, and sin must be paid for, if we are to pay for our sin, there's a penalty. We've broken God's laws, and there's a penalty to be paid. We'd have to die and spend forever separated from God in a literal hell. God doesn't want that for us. So what did he do? Because there's nothing we could do to get rid of this sin. Remember, a death payment is what's necessary. Good works don't take it away. Coming to church won't take it away. Giving money, none of that. Good works won't do it. Death payment must be made. If I do it, I'm lost forever. But here's the good news. God says, I love you so much, I'll provide a way so that you don't have to pay for your own sin. I'll provide a way to where you can live with me forever in heaven. And that is exactly what he did. Because he loves us so much, he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, this hand representing God in the flesh. And when Jesus died on the cross, the sin of our whole life, he took it upon himself. He died in our place, he was our substitute. He made the payment so we don't have to. The whole lifetime of sin, he paid for it. And he rose from the grave. And he says this, if you will believe, if you put your faith in him that he did that for you, the moment you do, that payment's good on your behalf. He gives you everlasting life. His payment takes care of all your sin. You have no sin to pay for. He gives you everlasting life. Listen, if you don't have any sin to pay for, you can go to heaven. And that's exactly what he provides. All he's asking you to do is believe that he did it for you. Trust in him that he made that payment for you. And when you do, you have everlasting life. I hope it makes sense to you. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, I ask you to do it today. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.